MSW Media. Thanks to Athletic Greens for supporting the Daily Beans. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, September 6th, 2022. Today, Trump appointed judge Eileen Cannon approves a special master and temporarily halts the use of the seized documents in criminal investigations. Liz Truss replaces Boris Johnson as the UK prime minister and the US ambassador to Russia leaves Moscow to retire. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. The shortest intro in the history of the Daily Beans, I think. Too. I mean, it really was. Am I disappointed? <laughs> no, because you know what? Sometimes it's not a shower. Yeah. <laughs> the shower must go on. That's right. It's because this Judge Eileen Cannon shit is going to take up the first half of the A block. And that's not doesn't even cover it all. We'll cover it in depth. Andrew Torres and I on Clean Up on L45 on tomorrow's podcast. And if you're a patron of Clean Up on L45, that's available now to you. I'll be speaking later in the show with the International Chair for Democrats Abroad. Her name is Candace Karastan. She'll join me from Munich. And then, of course, we'll have the good news. If you have any good news, you can send it to dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Dana, I'm just so happy you're back. I'm just happy to be back. It was nice to see some messages on Twitter and some other places, too, saying how nice it was to hear my voice back in your ears. And trust me, it is nice to have it back there. (laughs) <laughs> it's just a good part of my day. And when it's gone, it feels like something's definitely missing. So it's nice to be, yeah. nice to be home. Yeah. That's like me with coffee. Uh, I, <laughs> I have, I get a little depressed when I f- take my last sip of coffee. For You're the like, day. oh man, like that's it. And then I'm just the whole rest of the day looking forward to tomorrow's coffee. Really? <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I'll be your coffee. I'll be Aww. the coffee in your ears, everyone. Oh, yes. The daily beans. I get it. Coffee beans. I see. I see what you did there. All right. We have a lot of news to get to, relatively speaking. So let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. A federal judge on Monday ordered a halt to the Justice Department's review of materials seized from Mar-a-Lago, describing a threat to institutions and the risk of media leaks that could cause harm to Trump, all of which are a giant pile of bullshit. Quote, plaintiff faces an unquantifiable potential harm by way of improper disclosure of sensitive information to the public. That's what Judge Eileen Cannon wrote in her 24-page ruling issued today, Labor Day. And that is unquantifiable because it doesn't exist. She Well, also, she I'm sorry. She's worried about sensitive information being leaked to the public, but not <laughs> top secret materials being sold to fucking Russia or Saudi Arabia. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Right, right. And, she, and the reason that she has to say that the potential irreparable harm to the former guy is unquantifiable is because his lawyers didn't argue it. In fact, in that hearing, which we have a transcript for, the Jim Trusty, lawyer for Trump, actually said, you know, I can't even give you a precise irreparable harm here, Your Honor. But just in general, generally speaking, my fifis are hurt. So it was just the dumbest thing. 
Cannon's order included permitting a so-called special master to review the seized materials for potential attorney-client privilege and executive privilege, which doesn't exist. Prosecutors expressed exasperation at Trump's demand to review for executive privilege, noting that there's no precedent for a former executive to assert privilege to bar review of materials by a sitting executive branch, particularly when the government has determined the need is urgent. Remember the two urgent needs? Oh, yes. Criminal investigation and uh, the national security assessment, risk assessment. Anthony Coley, a department spokesperson, said it was, quote, examining the opinion and will consider appropriate next steps in the ongoing litigation. Cannon, as we know, is a Trump appointee who who was confirmed by the Senate a week after Trump lost in 2020. And she gave the Justice Department and Trump's lawyers until September 9th, that's Friday, to submit a joint filing to propose a list of special master candidates and outline their duties and limitations, which the fucking DOJ already did in the filing that they made. But whatever. In the meantime, Cannon ruled that the documents would not be returned to Trump. Well, that's good. You don't get your shit back because it's not your shit. But she actually didn't. What she said was, I'll reserve ruling on whether or not he can have his quote unquote stuff back. It's not his, but she she has she's reserving that ruling for another day. She doesn't say what day. She just said another day. So it's it's absolutely ridiculous. And again, you, you'll hear it from Andrew and I on Clean Up on L45. The Justice Department has indicated if Cannon were to make a ruling of this kind, she should formally enjoin the DOJ. And they did that because that would permit an appeal. In her order on Monday, she did make the findings required for an injunction that is subject to appeal, although she said she was unsure those findings were required in this instance. Mm. In her ruling, Cannon specifically wrote that the appointment of a special master shall not impede the intelligence community's ongoing risk assessment. That review, by the way, which began in response to inquiries from Congress, is being spearheaded by the ODNI, the Office of Director of National Intelligence. This ruling is full of legal errors, Dana, including the fact that she lacks jurisdiction and Donald lacks standing. And it will go down in history, I think, as an example of the court getting it wrong. To be clear, this order does not prevent the Department of Justice from continuing a criminal investigation into the material seized from Trump in January by the National Archives that was subsequently handed over to the FBI in May of this year, nor does it stop any investigation into the documents that were seized pursuant to the May subpoena, you know, that that folder of shit that they got in June. It also doesn't prevent Department of Justice from continuing an investigation into missing documents or documents potentially seized in the future from other properties, although he could file then and she might appoint a special master at that point. Some are calling for the DOJ to file the appeal. They set it up, ask for an injunction so they could file an appeal. But others say, like Secrets and Laws on Twitter, say they should file a motion for reconsideration so they can attach a declaration from an FBI agent detailing the harm to national security that may result from restricting the FBI's criminal investigation. She'll deny it, but that would get a declaration on the record that would strengthen the department's appeal to the 11th Circuit, and it would give the public a better understanding of just what's at stake. At the very least, I think the Department of Justice should ask for clarification as to the special master's role and how it would not impede the ODNI national security risk assessment, because that doesn't make any fucking sense. Again, Andrew and I break it down bit by bit on tomorrow's Cleanup on Aisle 45 pod. All right. And to continue on with this, our friend Adam Klasfeld asked four experts specifically about the risks involved in filing an appeal. This is what he wrote. 
appealing a federal judge's order appointing a special master to review thousands of files seized from the former president Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence could spell delays and an uncertain outcome, but not doing so might set a terrible precedent. No shit. Went on to say, quote, I'm sure the DOJ is puzzling over it now. And that's from noted CNN legal analyst Jennifer Rogers. And Jennifer's a former federal prosecutor for the Southern District of New York. And went on to say they obviously made clear to the judge that they wanted her to craft an order in such a way that it would allow them to appeal. That was from Rogers again. So what they're going to have to think about is what is the makeup of the 11th Circuit? What's the likelihood that they're going to get a ruling that they like or not? And how much damage does this actually do to their case? So Trump appointed six judges in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, a conservative jurisdiction. That's the first destination for any appeal. That's where it has to go first. Now, Rogers predicted the actual fallout of the ruling on the government's investigation would be limited. So did attorney Bradley Moss. And Bradley's a prominent national security lawyer. So this is a quote. If you're the DOJ in this circumstance, you have to take into consideration the possibility that this ruling will be essentially a one-off. It's going to be a one-off that no other criminal suspects will ever warrant the particular consideration and factual analysis that applies here to a former president. Again, that's from Moss. That's what Moss told Law and Crime. And went on to say, and so you have to take into consideration, is it worth it to spend the time and effort and the delay to potentially get this overturned, recognizing that nothing's guaranteed? Or do you plow ahead with the special master, confident that you've got the law on your side at that stage, and secure enough in the idea that whatever damage comes from the ruling going forward is minimal, if anything? So again, that was her moss. Now, at a recent hearing preceding the ruling, Senior Justice Department Attorney Jay Bratt reportedly emphasized that he believed U.S. District Judge Aileen Cannon, who we just spoke about, would need to issue an injunction against the government if she ruled against them. Politico and legal analysts more broadly, what they did is they interpreted that argument at the time as the government positioning itself for a more appealable ruling if they lost before the Trump appointee. So Rogers opined that the ruling was wrong on the law, and lends, quote, unfortunate credence to Trump's, of course, broadsides against the government without any basis for, for that whatsoever. Still, she believes that the ruling would have limited fallout for the government's probe. And this is another quote. I just think at the end of the day, outside of maybe four or five weeks of delay, I don't think it's a huge impediment to the Department of Justice's investigation. That's what she said in a phone interview. Now, Cannon herself described a ruling as limited and emphasized that Donald might ultimately lose on his claims of privilege. She added that Trump may fail to obtain the return of the more than 11,000 government documents at issue, including more than 100 classified files, all the shit we just said he wanted back. For former federal prosecutor Mitchell Epner, Judge Cannon's, quote, inappropriate ruling predictably emboldened Trump's attack on the nation's law enforcement. Of course it did. And this is a quote from that person. She's feeding one of the most dangerous anti-democratic forces in the last century of American history, and she decided to see if she could split the baby. That's from Epner, noting the judge's recognition that Trump failed to show any, quote, callous disregard for his rights by the government. And when and closing this said, and what we've ended up with is a dead baby. So we're not just splitting the baby, we have a dead baby. When the DOJ all but asked for an injunction that could have been appealable, Epner suggested prosecutors likely did not anticipate such an intrusive one mm-hmm. at that point. Right. 
And another quote continues, there were 19 different ways she could have crafted an injunction that would have allowed for immediate appeal without taking this absolutely inappropriate step. Again, that was from Epner. So ex-federal prosecutor, Renata Mariotti, any tactical considerations weighing against an appeal would have to be balanced against leaving the precedent of the ruling on the books. Love the guy. And this is another quote, this decision is far out of the mainstream decisions in criminal law cases. That was from Mariotti, and he continued to say, describing the order as a boon to the criminal defense attorneys like him who represent clients under investigation by the Justice Department, and went on to say, I intend to use this decision in cases in the future because it essentially suggests, even before a client has been indicted, that they have broad rights to seek review by courts and oversight by courts and by neutral third parties of the government investigative decisions based upon the potential harm that could be caused by an indictment that hasn't even been issued yet. Now, again, Mariotti. Now, for now, the Justice Department has not announced whether it would appeal the ruling, telling reporters only that it's reviewing, and uh, it's reviewing the ruling and considering appropriate next steps, uh, but this, it will need to make a decision quickly. Cannon ordered the parties to provide a list of special master candidates, like we said, by Friday. Friday, this Friday, September 9th. So this, there's a deadline on the shut. Yeah, and I, I imagine they'll nominate people like maybe Rick Grinnell, maybe Marianne Trump Barry. Yeah. <laughs> Trump's sister, who was a federal judge, possibly uh, Ratcliffe, you know, maybe Michael Ellis, the former uh, National Security Council uh, lawyer. They could nominate Sidney Powell. They could. I mean, there's any number of Devin Nunes of people that they could treat. Jackasses that they could be. This person's in charge. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a a, a shit show. Newt Gingrich might be on the list. I don't know. Rudy Giuliani. I mean, why not? (laughs) Well, he's under criminal federal investigation. Does it matter? Does it matter? (laughs) True. (laughs) Very true. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm applying, uh, you know, common sense rules. Stop that. How dare you? My bad. Next up, John Sullivan, that's the U.S. ambassador to Russia, has left his post. He will retire. And that's according to the U.S. embassy announcement on Sunday. Sullivan departs amid a period of heightened tensions between the U.S. and Russia, not seen in decades in the middle of this hot war with Ukraine. He leaves after nearly three years as ambassador in Moscow, where he oversaw the embassy as it faced increasing restrictions imposed by the Russian government. Quote, U.S. ambassador to the Russian Federation, John J. Sullivan, has concluded his tenure as U.S. envoy and departed Moscow today. Ambassador Sullivan was appointed in December 2019 and has served as ambassador for almost three years, according to the statement. Following his departure, he will retire from a career in public service that has spanned four decades and five U.S. presidents, including service as the deputy secretary of state and in senior positions at the Department of Justice, Department of Defense and Department of Commerce. The embassy added that Elizabeth Rood will take over as charge d'affaires until a successor takes over. A State Department spokesperson told CNN that Sullivan's departure is planned and part of a normal diplomatic rotation, noting that the ambassador has served a full tenure as the top U.S. diplomat in Moscow while managing one of the most critical bilateral relationships in the world during unprecedented times. Quote, we intend to announce our next ambassador soon. That's what the spokesperson added. All right. And we are leaving Moscow. We're going to Britain because that's what we're doing today. We are just covering as much as we can in the world. Liz Truss. She will become the next prime minister of Britain. She's going to take over from Boris Johnson at a time of just basically economic peril in the the country and political upheaval in the United Kingdom. Now, Truss, Britain's 47-year-old foreign secretary, won the support of her party's grassroots with promises of tax breaks and with her uh, fealty to Johnson, who was booted from Downing Street by conservative lawmakers, but is already missed 
by rank-and-file party members. Oh, we miss him in his crazy hair. Now, Truss wasn't the top choice of conservative party lawmakers, and a majority of Brits tell pollsters that she's going to be a poor or terrible prime minister. They are not a fan. But she was the favorite among the Tory activists who selected the leader of their party and Britain in a vote announced Monday. So what I'm understanding, AJ, and I know you correct me, this wasn't everyone voting on this. She was taking Boris Johnson's place. So this was the conservative party saying, we want her to do it. And everyone else is like, we don't fucking like her either. Right. They have sort of a a, a way to vote. They get to it a little bit later. BBC does in this article how, okay. how exactly she became uh, prime minister. Well, you all are going to learn with me as we go along. In a brief speech accepted leadership of the party, Truss remained loyal and gave Johnson props. She said, Boris, you got Brexit done. You crushed Labor Party leader Jeremy Corbyn. You rolled out the vaccine and you stood up to Vladimir Putin. Did you? You are admired by Kiev to Carlisle. That's what she said, referring to a small city in northern England. I, I know, because this <laughs> was admired not... by f- 45 people. people. And what I think uh, the, Ky- the Kiev people think. No, yeah, you're wrong. And a lot of sheep. Congratulations. Because this was not a general election, most of Britain, like I said, was sitting on the sidelines while a selectorate is what they call this. A selectorate of 172,437 dues-paying Conservative Party members. So they paid dues to be part of this, and they're the ones. That's less than 0.3% of the population determine the country's political future. They determine the fucking prime minister. That's crazy pants. Now, according to YouGov poll, 12% of the general public say trust, 12% say say trust will be good or great prime minister compared with 52% who say she's going to be poor or terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't wait for the, the tenure of UK's new worst prime minister. All right. Charlie Pierce just tweeted, I guess people don't like her over there, basically. <laughs> yeah, we could say. Oh, man. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's that's what's going on over there. That's what's happening in Russia. And that's, of course, what's happening here in Southern District of Florida in a courtroom by a Trump appointed judge. After the break, I'm going to speak with the international chair of Democrats Abroad. Her name is Candace Karastan, and we'll follow that up with the good news. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and I want to talk about something I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 by Athletic Greens because I wanted more energy and optimized immune system, and I didn't want to have to take 100 different supplements and superfoods and, you know, adaptogens and probiotics. It's all in one delicious scoop of AG1. You get 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day. A special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, immune system, aging, energy, recovery focus, all the things. And I want to thank Athletic Greens for their support right now. They're offering you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin. It's important you choose one with high-quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. And it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day of AG1. That's it. No need for those million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And again, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you that free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Everybody, welcome back. I am proud and happy to be talking with the international chair of Democrats Abroad today, Candace Karastan. Candace, hello. 
Hey, Allison, how's it going? It's going really well. And I'm so, so very excited to talk to you today because I've been keeping my eye on our Democrats abroad numbers. You know, it really didn't start to come into my periphery until about 2018 when we were trying to figure out if we were going to have the blue tsunami that we ended up having. And then, of course, in 2020, when we were all like, please, please, we just need to, we need to end this nightmare. And the numbers that have been coming from voters, from Democrats abroad, have just been astounding, like explosive at the, you know, at the increasing rate of Democrats abroad being involved. And I was wondering if you could tell me why you think that is, if it has something to do with the international perception of what's going on in politics in the United States with, you know, Trump and then Biden taking over and and Roe being overturned. I mean, there's got to be a lot that really gets Democrats abroad more involved than, say, in like 2012. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The events of the past few years have really energized uh, Democrats living both at home and abroad. And maybe just as a starting point to say uh, a few words about our organization in general. So uh, we are the official arm of the Democratic Party. Um, We count as a state party, so just like the 50 states and territories. Uh, We have a home within the Democratic Party, and we're very grateful for that. And as you mentioned, there are quite a few Americans living overseas. There are an estimated 9 million of us in total. So that's really a force to be reckoned with. And our you know, organization and my, my job, uh, which I love and uh, really feel the impact of, is to make sure that we're finding each and every one of those Americans and getting them voting. Uh, and to go back to your question directly, you know about this increased engagement. Uh, there's been a lot of things over the past few years that have been very difficult to watch uh, as an American overseas. Everyone who's living abroad didn't just up and leave the United States. We all have a very special connection to the country that we were born in or naturalized in or have a parent from, right? And there's a whole perspective, again, from these experiences that Americans abroad have. And so looking back in when you see something like repeated massacres happening in elementary schools, or you see women being stripped of the right to determine, you know, their rights over their body. And again, especially my perspective living in Germany, for example, where we do have access to healthcare, access to affordable education, gun safety laws. It is really, it's an emotional connection back to the United States to think, why can't we be doing better? And the Democratic Party, again, is taking up these issues. And it's really energized a lot of people to come to Democrats abroad and channel their activism and concern for the United States. Yeah. And it's been a lot. I mean, you know, we thought we've, you know, <laughs> I remember somebody saying, well, what are you going to do now that, that Biden's been elected? I mean, there's not going to be this crazy news cycle. And I'm like, oh, I, I think you might be wrong because it's residual. We didn't just get rid of the entire problem when we voted in 2020. There's the problem, first of all, that he's still out and about running around and possibly running for president again. He's got a ton of followers who still follow him. He's got a bunch of people in the Republican Party who are still kowtowing to him. And then, you know, we have, all, of course, all these criminal investigations that are now coming to light. But the residual of impact of the Supreme Court is going to be around with us for decades and decades. And so that's why I think Democrats Abroad is such an important arm of the Democratic Party. I mean, like nine million strong. That's just such a, I mean, that's a 
margin of of like how we you know of what the victory was in 2020 that's a, a massive amount of votes and um i imagine and maybe i'm maybe i've got it in my head maybe i'm biased that i think people who travel or are more worldly tend to vote democrat but i i don't know if what the breakdown is of, of expats that are democrats versus that you know that would vote republican i feel like republicans abroad probably isn't a thing yeah, so we do find that the overwhelming majority of Americans living outside of the United States are voting for Democrats. And again, I think it goes back to what we just discussed. A lot of us are living in societies, again, that have prioritized things like, the list goes on, gun safety laws, yeah. access to healthcare, access to education, where you're not going broke for either of those things. And again, those are issues that the Democratic Party is really taking up and championing. <laughs> they're really taking up uh, within the United States. And um, again, I say this as a, as a younger voter too. When I look at politics back home, I'm from Pennsylvania. There's only one party who I could ever imagine myself identifying with. Hmm. And one party that I feel is taking those issues seriously. And what about, because I know that there's a huge military contingent abroad, like mm -hmm. voters who aren't in the United States. I, I feel like that's to me seems like a different category because they're there on orders. You know, <laughs> that's not something like they decided to, you know, mm -hmm. to do, you know, to do for themselves, to make a move for themselves. But I also was wondering because when I, you know, when I was in the military, what I noticed is those of us who did travel a lot tended to kind of vote more democratic. And I noticed that in a lot of uh, Marines that, you know, you would think would be like gung-ho Republicans. But after spending time, you know, with a translator in Afghanistan or, you know, in Germany, seeing their healthcare system at work, it just seemed like most of them to me were, were pretty liberal people. Yeah. So as active military, um, they are bound to remaining neutral. So we don't see large public amounts of engagement from, from military I will say, again, based on my experience with a lot of the veteran communities that we have here, again, as you mentioned, their life experiences have really given them a different perspective, kind of from the outside looking in that, again, as someone who has served their country, right, they feel like this perspective is worth transporting back. They feel like it's worth their engagement, like they should make that and their perspective be a part of the process. And do do U.S. voters abroad vote at similar rates as people in the United States? Because we don't have a very good voter turnout here in the United States. I would say we're working on it. <laughs> so voter turnout was about 8% in 2020. So we are working every single day around the clock to make sure that more Americans abroad are voting. As I mentioned, and as you mentioned, we are really a force to be reckoned with. The votes from abroad in 2020 delivered the margin of victory for Joe Biden in not only Arizona, but in Georgia as well. So had Americans abroad not shown up as much as they did, we could be looking at a very different landscape in the United States. We could be looking at Trump and the White House. And so from my position and, and you know, our team organizing all around the world, our mind is how can we up that 8%? How many more races can we be winning and delivering the votes again to move our country in the right direction. Yeah, and eight percent is actually quite a bit more than it was in in you know just a decade earlier. Exactly. So we do see that engagement. How can people listening to this program, people listening to the Daily Beans, 
help you get those voters engaged? I think the biggest thing that anyone listening could do is just to make a list of people they know who are living abroad. Or, you know, maybe that is someone in the military. Maybe that is someone in your family who's studying abroad this coming semester. It really comes down to us connecting with people in our own networks. A lot of what we do is word of mouth. And so I would encourage everyone, again, to think about who they know and to direct them to votefromabroad.org. That's where Americans residing overseas can request their absentee ballot. We vote by mail, just like a lot of folks in the U.S. are doing. So again, please direct anyone and everyone you know who's overseas to get their ballot at votefromabroad.org. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Again, that's votefromabroad.org. And I've been talking to the International Chair of Democrats Abroad, Candace Karastan. Thank you so much for taking time today to talk to me. Thanks, Allison. Appreciate it. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. You know what else is important for your health? Sleep. It's also like my favorite thing ever. So at least in the top five. And I used to have sleep problems. And I thought it was stress and anxiety. But as it turns out, I was sleeping on a mattress made for someone else. But Helix has an online sleep quiz you can take at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. It takes two minutes and they will match you and your body type to the perfect mattress for you. I took the quiz. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I'm a side sleeper and I like a medium firm mattress. It is the best mattress I've ever owned, hands down. They have a 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model you get. And you get to try it for 100 sleeps with no risk. They will come and pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix Sleep is a premium mattress brand. They provide tailored mattresses based on your sleep preferences. The lineup now at Helix has 14 unique mattresses, including a whole collection of luxury models. They have a mattress for big and tall sleepers and even a mattress just for kids. So again, go to helixsleep.com slash dailybeans, take the quiz, order the mattress that you're matched to, and it'll come to your door shipped completely free, and you can get the best night's sleep of your life. As you know, they, uh, Helix was awarded number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine, and they've been recommended by multiple leading doctors of sleep medicine and chiropractors as a go-to solution for improving your sleep. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders, plus two free pillows. Get rid of your MyPillow pillow guy pillows and, and get, get this get this deal because again helix has up to 200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for you just go to helixsleep.com slash daily beans with helix better sleep starts now all right everybody it's time for the good news who likes good news everyone then good news everyone Good news, good news. And if you have good news, confessions, corrections, if you want to play What the Mutt, or if you have Halloween photos or photos of your happy place, or you want to give a shout out to somebody who's awesome in your life, you can do it all by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. Little housekeeping here. Shirt stuff. Our crimes and crimes and crimes shirts. It's a mess. We're sorting it out. We're sending you the right sizes. We're apologizing in advance. And we're going to try to get our money back from the third party vendor. <laughs> Here's hoping. Uh, but all proceeds do go to the How We Win Fund. So that's cool. It helps get Democrats elected in the midterms. So thank you for buying those shirts. Dana, are you ready for good news? I am. Just kick it off here. Yeah, me too. First up from Nate, pronouns he and him. Since the school year is starting up for a lot of us, I want to give a shout out to those who help teach special needs kids. A lot of times these programs are underfunded and ignored, but the teachers and the aides are amazing. 
They have many hurdles and difficulties, so I wanted to give huge kudos to all the folks who help special needs kids grow and thrive. I second that. A.G. Woot, woot. Absolutely. hundred percent, hundred percent. And uh, I'll go ahead and hit the next one. It's pretty short, too. Mary from California. Halloween during the pandemic. I have two adults with special needs. My son loves Disneyland. When Disneyland was closed during the shutdown, I turned our living room into the haunted mansion. I enjoy your show as well as your Twitter posts. And I would have this decoration up all year round. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic wallpaper, too. I know it's just a backdrop, but that would be cool wallpaper. These pictures are fantastic. Fantastic is this. Oh, this is so awesome. Very, very cool. And you've got the wallpaper right and the stuff and the ghosts on the wall. That is so cool. Oh, my God. Mary, thank you for sharing this with us. Absolutely. All right. This is from Brandon, pronouncing him. Just wanted to say thank you both for the show. It's quickly become my main daily podcast. I listen to it on my way to work. Huh. Also, I love Clean Up Pod as well, which is how I found this podcast. Attached are three images of my best friend, Wayman. I adopted him on Memorial Day, and he's quickly become my best little friend. I love his meows as I'm coming up the stairs to apartment and snuggles in the morning, even if he did give me ringworm from the shelter. Oh, no. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Sorry. Side note, his name is after the husband character from the film Everything Everywhere All at Once. By the way, if you haven't seen this film and this is just me interjecting, it's so good. Yeah, I hear one of the best movies. It's so fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. The production company that does it is is one of my favorites, yeah. too. So Brandon ends this. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's a blast with so much emotion across the spectrum. And it totally is. Keep up the great work. The movie is absolutely fantastic. This kitten is, Wayman is just beautiful in all yeah. of the glory and the eyes and the sun and the yes. happy sleep sleep. And I love my, this is the same with my void with boobs in the sun. They're red. They see that? See how they're red under? I'm sorry. Did you say your boobs in the sun are red? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I was just making sure I heard that correctly. Give me a statement about your cat and your poolside habits. Yeah. What? (laughs) Both of them. My boobs in the sun are red. Look at the secret stripes. Oh, so, so cute. Thank you for that. Next up from Kelly, pronouns she and her. I listen to your podcast first thing each morning on my daily run with my doggo, Sue. Last week, while listening to the good news segment, we found a tag along. Living out in the country, this isn't all that unusual. But this baby was far away from any farmstead and followed us for half a mile at a dead sprint. Wow. Okay, first of all, Kelly, if you can sprint for half a mile, you're my new hero. I picked her up and she fell asleep in my arms immediately. Long story short, she's now being fostered and looking for her forever home. She is such a sweet girl. I know it won't take long. Thanks for all you do to help keep us sane during these unsteady times. Look at this kitty. Oh, hello. So sweet. She looks a lot like like the cat from the previous Waymond. She looks, oh, she's got yeah. the little, little tiny white gray furs on In the, the on green the eyes. Yeah. Oh, what a sweetheart. So sweet. Indeed, indeed. All right, this next one's from Sally, pronouns she and her. This is the best. (laughs) I know. Hello, lovely ladies. Yeah, it's almost Halloween and wanted to share my youngest son's latest creation. We did a practice run for trick-or-treating, which he's counting down the days for. It's less than 60 days until we have an overload of candy. He created a D&D character that he named Nashka. And together, we figured out how to bring his character to life. Now, not sure his 
superpowers yet, but I love his creativity and thought you would too. Any ideas for superpowers? Okay, this looks like a swashbuckling cat. It's so good. With a with a lion tail. And, yeah, but and... look at the kid in the costume. Oh, oh. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. <laughs> it's an elf. My bad. I think okay. the superpowers definitely has to do with hearing. So I think they should be able to pick up something with those ears. Well, I definitely, yeah. I definitely think this is a spellcaster. Oh. So that would be, and of course, uh, a minstrel, right? Because I see a lute here in the photo. And so perhaps the superpowers to be able to cast spells through music. That's what I would say. Wow. That was better than any answer I could have possibly come up with. That's what we're going with. I play a lot of d and I was going to say. That was <laughs> fucking quick. I was like, okay. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Yep. Thank you for this. And that drawing is pretty amazing. Seriously. And so is this costume. Kudos. Oh, but wait. No, those are those elf ears or werewolf ears? Anyway, that's what I think. I think you should cast spells with music. Next up from Jen, she and her. Hi, AGDG and PS, Pete Struck. <laughs> I've been a listener for a couple months now. I hold a top secret SCI clearance, a TSSCI clearance, and spend my 40-hour-a-week job in a SCIF, a special compartmented information uh, facility. I haven't stopped swearing for the past three weeks. <laughs> I appreciate you breaking down the details of the court filings and explaining the potential criminal indictments FAPOTUS is facing. Like many others, I got physically nauseous, right? I got so sick seeing the photo in the DOJ's filing with the classified info at Mar-a-Lago. I have regular nightmares about, quote, accidentally taking my phone into the skiff and the chaos and penalties that would, that would cause for me. I don't even have the vocabulary to express how fucking irritated and distraught I am with this blatant, purposeful mishandling of classified info plus obstruction, etc. And that doesn't even get to the possibility that he intentionally gave or sold secrets to hostile foreign powers. Ugh. But for some better news, on your episode this week featuring Pete Strzok, I noticed something that made me happy. While discussing the DOJ's timing for indictments, you used the phrase, I don't have a dog in this race. It seemed like you caught yourself before saying dog in this fight, which I greatly appreciate. As a Pitbull's mom and the former foster mom for dozens of Pibbles, or pities if you like, any casual reference to dogfighting pisses me off. While I understand that it's a common phrase and the people who use it almost definitely don't intend any harm, it's one of those little things we can do to stop normalizing this barbaric torture of not only pities, but other dogs as well. So I appreciate your conscientiousness in not using that phrase. As my pet tax, I present my three dogs and invite you to guess the breeds on the two mutts. Sasha is obviously a Shiba Inu. I mean, obviously. She's 13 and a half, and I've had her since she was nine weeks old. She recently suffered a stroke or two and has Aww. a few deficits, but mostly doing well. Dylan is my pity mix, who I adopted from a shelter in 2012 when he was approximately a year old. And Radar, great name yeah. for a dog, is my latest acquisition. As a rescue volunteer back in 2010, I helped with his intake to the rescue, then helped my dad adopt him a few months later, and then my dad gave him to me in 2020. Amusingly, Radar bears zero resemblance to his litter mate, who basically looked like a yellow lab. It's hard having these three dogs in triple digits, knowing the next several years are going to be excruciating, but I've had so many great years with them and I'll do anything to keep them healthy and living good lives. Thanks for all you do. Thanks for the opportunity to just share my puppers with you. Notes before breed guessing. Dylan has long legs and a narrow frame compared to full pitties and has a large scale white wishbone on his chest, plus some of the white on his feet. He's espresso colored, looks black next to a brown dog. 
and brown next to a black dog. That's funny. Radar's hair is naturally longer than in this photo. We just, he'd just been groomed. He's got a super thick undercoat. Okay, so wow. he's probably got German Shepherd. Uh, yes, I, I didn't want to say dog in this fight, but now I think dog in this race, racing dogs is probably bad too. But you I know, know I was thinking I, it too. But <laughs> Right. But there's the Sheba, beautiful. Here is this Pibble, looks like a lab mix. It's got a white wishbone on his chest, so maybe like a blue healer. Oh my God, look at this dog with the blue toy in the in the mouth. Oh my goodness. With that cool looking fire pit behind. That's awesome. Chow chow. So, yeah. I only say that because of the, the coat on that thing. Chow shepherd. And it looks like it's almost got like a Japanese chin or like a, a spaniel, some sh- like short snouted breed. Yeah. Okay, let's see what we got here. Dilling, I'm, I'm assuming, is 50 to 75% pity and maybe 25% lab. His 2020 test said American Staffordshire Pitbull plus Boxer, Rottweiler, and Aussie. His 2012 test said American Staffordshire Basset Hound, Lakeland Terrier. The remaining half couldn't be definitively identified, but the top five breeds in order of probability were Curly-Coated Retriever, Great Pyrenees, Welsh Corgi, Cairn Terrier, and Boxer. Jesus. Wow, Dylan. And Radar. I assume Chow Chow and Golden Retriever, but... I assume too, but... Great Pyrenees, German Shepherd, Chow Chow, Boxer, Pitbull, and Aussie. Look at that. Oh my goodness. What a sweetie. I know. Seriously. I guess he gets the short snout from the Boxer side. Yeah, of the that makes family. sense. Anyway, great oh my God, cute. Thank you for that. And yeah, this whole, you know, I, I seriously saw the, these documents uh, on the floor and I was like, oh, like it. <sighs> Just absolutely zero respect for it's just anything. fucking ridiculous. I mean, if like this person said, had they even got their cell phone into this area and something had leaked, they would be, I mean, fired. I just, yeah. I can't, I can't with this bullshit. Yeah, no, same. Well, I hope everybody had a safe Labor Day weekend. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with, uh, there's probably, okay, so I'm going to guess tomorrow, tomorrow's intro is going to be more than a minute long. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and say this because today was so short, everything's going to fucking drop everything is going to drop. We're going to find out if the DOJ is going to appeal. Maybe we're going to find, I mean, there's just going to be so much. And, and of course the investigative staff is probably going to stuff is probably going to be on the back burner leading up to the election. But the, so I think the January 6th committee is going to start taking front and center stage again. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. But uh, any, any final thoughts before we get out of here, Dana? No, not today. No. All right. Well, everybody until tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. A vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. M-S-W-Media.